Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to On the Bright Line podcast, tales from recovering food addicts from the perspective of a physician, a therapist, and an off-the-wall storyteller. We are not affiliated or endorsed by Brightline Eating, and all content presented in this podcast represents our personal opinions and does not represent medical, nutritional, or psychological professional advice. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Bright Line podcast, and again, via Zoom. <laughs> but it's okay, because we're all here, and we're connecting with each other, even though we're not in the same room, so uh, yeah. I just appreciate, I appreciate the both of you just, you know, making some time in your busy schedules. Life has gotten life, you guys, and I promise we will get back together. We're going to have to have a celebration episode when we oh, are oh my gosh, yes. in the same room again. Like, that's, that's going to really nice. It's going to be really nice to be around it the is. table with yeah. I would like to hug your necks. I did see Bonnie recently, but I have not seen Robin for a little while. So anyway, yeah. um, today on today's episode, <laughs> nobody cares. No, no, people do care about our life. I shouldn't say nobody <laughs> cares about our life. Um, on today's episode, we're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. And I I think that the, the thing that, you know, I'm going to add to this is that the importance I think I've, I place on uh, mental health and, you know, therapy as a tool uh, to healing in general, and that we all um, have life traumas, and some are big T traumas, and some are little T traumas, right? That's a therapyism right there. Um, And I personally have been in therapy before in my life. Uh, I'm not currently seeing a therapist, but that, you know, I probably should be. (laughs) let's be honest. No, no, but I, you know, I think that I just think it's very, I think it's vital. I think it's a really good idea for people who can um, afford it that are in a situation that can do it to, to be with a therapist. Um, at, you know, if, if, especially if there's, you know, life traumas that you are dealing with and working with, especially when it comes to your food and coping and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I am not the expert here, but I know Bonnie's going to talk a little bit bit about her, um, therapy, you know, feelings, experiences, whatever. And then we're really going to let Robin do most of talking because, uh, she's a therapist. Go ahead, Bonnie. Yeah, so I will just start out by saying in 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 the brightlining community, whether you're in whether you're a member or not, you'll hear people talk about how important it is to do the quote inner work, do the inner work. Yeah. And I'm just going to say that the inner work can come in many different forms. And I have spent many years doing inner work on you know past trauma, analyzing why I've had the eating issue that I've had. Um, and I think inner work can include cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what Robin's going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. It can include internal family systems therapy. Um, which they uh, talk about a lot in the um, in the bright lighting community. It can include doing a spiritual retreat, going, you know, to learning to meditate, um, you know, talking to a peer counselor. I mean, there can be a lot of different ways or, you know, just doing reading, right? I going through the modules in the bright mm-hmm. lighting program, reading the book, reading things about how to heal the trauma that you've been through, reading books about trauma. All those things are ways that you can do the inner work, which means working on um, healing and developing and growing um, your inner self to become stronger, to have better coping skills, to you know handle life stress better, so you don't lean on any addictions. You know, addictions are just things that people fall into to cope. You know, um, and you know if you can do the inner work and and find healthier ways to cope with life stressors. We've talked about in many previous episodes that life gets lifey. All of us. I mean, there's no life that is without some kind of challenge or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, setback or illness or loss. Um, I mean, that's just part of living a human life. So 
um, intermittently through your life. It may be very appropriate to see a counselor. Um, but like I said, there's lots of other ways too that you can do inner work on your own or with a guide, right? So um, just to preface, we're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. It's one of the most common and successful ways of working through, um, you know, changing behavior. Um, but but there's lots of other, you know, ways that we all use, all other tools that many people use successfully to to do the inner work. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the pieces that I would tack on to that is I think there's a difference between going to therapy and doing therapy, right? Mm. You can go to therapy and intellectualize it. And I'm going to read all these books and I'm going to intellectualize it. And that is another way of avoiding your feelings. It's like, I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We're like, you know us, weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it's every human, right? Yeah. It's every human that it can feel a lot more comfortable to theoretically talk about problems as opposed to actually sitting and letting yourself feel it and acknowledge this is what I do, or this is why I do that. And this is what it feels like when I do that, because the idea of, right, cognitive behavioral therapy is not about don't feel your feelings, right? Let me teach you how to not feel your feelings. It's more about how do we right size those feelings, right? Because problems happen and 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 our brains will supersize the response to a problem, right? And that kind of dovetails into the into the IFS part about which of our parts is getting activated and getting stirred up, right? So to me, cognitive behavioral therapy plays very nicely with IFS in looking at, okay, what part of yourself is giving you this message, right? So the so the basics of, of and let's just say we do plan on doing a podcast at some point in the future on IFS in, in like specifically. Yes. So we're not going to talk about for those who don't know it. That's internal family internal. systems, the system yes. of therapy where you take the different behaviors that you have and responses and you kind of personify them. You know, like my catastrophizer part that right. You know, turns everything like you were saying into a it takes a little thing and makes it horrible or my protector and, right. that yeah give me and BLE is IFS heavy like that's and that's why we want yeah. to make sure that we're touching there because we understand yeah. that a lot of the a lot of the inner work that happens um in the BLE program specifically like the the modules and the you know the education materials that are put out by the program is centered around IFS internal family systems so uh we're not yeah. ignoring it and obviously Robin's talking about it a little bit but we have we had there is a plan <laughs> there's a plan here guys we will we will talk about that um at, at you know at a deeper level in the future we're just today we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy sorry i feel like i needed to preface all that excellent excellent so cognitive cbt cognitive behavioral therapy kind of looks at at both of those parts the cognitive part what am i saying to myself in my head about a situation right so it's the that's called the activating event Right. So something happens, life gets lifey and, and something happens. There's an event. The cognitive piece is, you know, what what am I saying to myself in my head? Right. A lot of times I'll I'll ask clients, what does it sound like in there? Right. What's what's rolling around in there that we need to pull out? Um, because those thoughts then lead us to have um a certain reaction, right? Which can be emotional, physiological, behavioral. Right. And so what we're looking at is how can we intervene 
with those thoughts, right? So uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was invented um, primarily by Dr. Aaron Beck in, in kind of the 1960s. Um, and his daughter has actually really added a, a lot um, onto that. So we've got the activating. So they talk about the ABC model. A is the activating event. B is the belief about that event, which we call ANTS, A-N-T-S, automatic negative thoughts. Oh, I was like, ants, what? Ants, got it, right? Called ants, right? And ants are- We love an acronym here, let me tell you. I love a little acronym, right? So ants are usually big, big thoughts with big emotions related to them. Um, And they're usually fast. A lot of people will say, I don't even know what it sounds like in here. It just happens so fast. So for some people that can be really difficult to kind of- slow things down and kind of back up a little bit and go, what am I saying to myself in my head about this event? Um, Because we tend to then get really flooded with the emotions and sometimes have trouble kind of backing up and, and getting to those, to those thoughts. Right. So what we're looking at kind of the steps of cognitive behavioral therapy, that first piece is, okay, well, what, what happened? What was the event? right? And then can I pull out those thoughts? And I will tell you that what I have people do is literally pen and paper, write down the thought. And what people will come back to me and say is, it seemed so true when it was in here. And once I got the pen and paper and started writing it down, I went, oh oh my gosh, what? What am I saying? holy moly, that's not right, right? So simply the act of pulling out that thought and writing it down can really help us start questioning that thought, right? Because usually what happens is that thought that we pull out when we're looking at that and saying, is that thought 100% true, right? It's usually not, and it's usually very, very negative. And then we're looking at how can we reframe that thought? How can I make that thought more true. And usually that more true thought is much more neutral and is occasionally even kind of positive, oddly. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those are the the basic steps of that. And do 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 one of you have something that's been going on, like maybe a big generalization that that we could kind of kick around and and work with to give some some real-time examples of, of what that process might look like for people. Any volunteer? Yeah. So, so we were talking, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in out of state right now helping, uh, you know, take care of my mom who's had a medical right. event. And I, you know, I was thinking like all growing up, my parents uh, were, were big catastrophizers, oh, right? right? A lot of drama around when you get news of something, we would put a very big negative spin about it and it would create a lot of, drama, right? And so that used to be my natural tendency. And that is something through inner work that I've really worked on. Like when I get bad news, what is the story I tell myself? Right. And then what am I and that's a cognitive distortion, right? Right. So and and we'll talk a little bit more later about about what some of the really common cognitive distortions are. You get the call from the hospital, your mom's in the hospital. And, you know, the first thought in the old way of thinking for me was she's going to die. It's going to be this. All these things are going to happen. Right. The world's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to have to go do this and that. 
and then, you know, when things play out, I mean, every now and then there really is something that happens like that, but sure. almost always it is never as bad as you imagined. Right. <sighs> and so I try to, when I get news that seems upsetting now, or that something bad might happen to somebody, um, you know, my husband had a very significant health event, right. And the old me would have just started crying and he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of like let's wait until we get the test result back there is really not a point in letting myself go down the rabbit hole of you know am i going to be a widow next week let's like back up right for saying the story in your head yeah so what is if you had to like kind of identify maybe one of those previous catastrophizing thoughts what would that sound like what would that have sounded like so it's like hey well we you know this could be we found an abnormality on the cat scan right we and found an abnormality, and that means feel in my head. It's like it's probably stage four. <laughs> right. I'm gonna Aww. be a widow. I wonder what being a widow is gonna be like. You know, oh, right? Bonnie. <laughs> right? Right? You know, yeah. or like he really did. He had a heart stent put in, right? So it's yeah. like right. I can remember. I remember sitting in the waiting room when they took him back for the emergency stent thing, and I just went to the worst place. You know, like mm. he's gonna die so, on the table. You know, I was crying. So if we, so if we pull that thought out, oh my gosh, um, you know, he, 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 you know, there's this medical event and that means, um, they're going to die. Yep. Right. How true is that thought? What data do we have that supports that thought? Did you have any data that supported that 100% that thought was true? None. Right. So, so, so the reality is that's not a true thought. How true, what percentage true is that thought? Like 5% true, 5% chance. 5% true. Gotcha. Okay. So what would actually a more true thought be? If we had to tweak it to something that's more true, what would a more true thought sound like? I think we found this because there's a 95% chance everything's going to be fine. Wow. So what... Well, that's really, that's a, that's a much better frame. I love it. <laughs> right. But what emotions get brought up by that new thought? Now it's joy and relief instead of fear and sadness. Right. Right. And that's that process. When we're able to go in and reframe those thoughts, it shifts our emotions, which then allows us to shift our response. Right. Because that's also what we're looking for is. So now what will my behaviors be now as opposed to with the previous thoughts? It's so with the previous- you're saying that because I'm telling you how much better I'm doing and I don't catastrophize anymore, but I don't put the positive spin on it still. Mm. So I oh, don't say right. it's all going to be bad, but I say hopefully it won't be bad. OK. And I'm not going to you know, I, t- I tell myself I'm being really good because I'm not letting myself stew about it, but I'm not also feeling positive about it. And that's something. I definitely could do better, right? I could put the positive spin on it. You could put the positive spin on it, but I also don't want like the toxic positivity either, yeah. right? Which which can be, a. I think in our culture right now, that's also a danger of going to, yeah. it's all going to be great and rainbows and unicorns yeah. because that's also denying our, our feelings. Right. Right. It's okay to be uncomfortable to say it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. Right. But looking at the difference in the emotional response, right? That first, yeah. that first kind of catastrophizing thought that you were having, yeah. what was, what were the emotions around that? Yeah. Sad, fear. Right. Mostly fear-based, very fear-based. Right. Mm. 
which might have led you to what behaviors? Just sitting in anxiety and going off my food plan and right. using to cope with how anxious and sad I felt, right? Right, yeah. right. And and so that idea that when we can start doing that work and practicing that reframing, that the goal is then that not only do we have a different emotional and physiological response, but that hopefully we can then choose healthier behaviors, right? Maybe, maybe that, right? So what would you do if you're like, yeah, okay, this is probably going to be okay. I'm still a little stressed and concerned. What would then be some, some different behaviors that you might take with that? I would definitely be in a better place to be like, well, I am going to go through this situation. And while I'm worrying through it or why, while we're waiting to see Mm -hmm. how it comes out, I need to make, I need to double down and make sure I'm checking in with my support system. And I need to make sure Mm -hmm. I'm planning my food so that, you know, stuck in the hospital for six hours, then, you know, what am I going to eat and how am I going to cope with that? And are there some, let me bring my knitting because that is something I can sit and do instead of eating, right? Or right. whatever. Yeah, right. you have, you make space, right? You make space for maybe making some better choices. Right. And that's, and so the behavioral part of CBT also looks at what are these behaviors, again, that we're going to kind of pre-plan like like the emergency action plan right so so Megan I know you've had some stress what what behavioral things kind of help you manage when negative emotions come up what what works for you talking I talk yeah (laughs) talking to my friends calling my friends you know talking through things I think that's that's a big thing for me um I think support like and I and I say this all the time I think support is the number one you know the number one thing for me in in this program in life in general is that I I because of who I am and my personality you know I can't do life alone like I need I need people around me and uh that's the first thing I do is I reach out to, to people and, you know, try and process. I'm a verbal processor, which is why I'm really good at podcasting. <laughs> Cause I like to, I like to process things out loud, but yeah, I think that's, I think for me, that's, that's kind of the first place I go. And if you look at my EAP, the first, you know, three or four things on my EAP are human-based things, reaching out to live people, getting a connection and, you know, and having those conversations so that I can feel like, um, you know, I'm not alone because I think for me, and I'm, I just, I'm sure this is not, I think this is universal. This isn't just me. It's like, if I get to a place where I feel like I'm, I'm not, I'm holding it in and I'm, I'm alone. And then like, I, you know, like that's when I go to the dark place. Cause it's, it, you know, I internalize and I, you know, I don't talk through what the reality is like again. And that's, that's really important because when we get stuck with with our own thoughts, and like I said, when they're rolling around in our heads, they do seem so true, right? I, I will tell well, you it's the story we tell ourselves, right? Like the story we tell ourselves. And I actually had a situation recently that it was like I was telling myself a story and and when I when I confronted it, it was one hundred percent not the case. And it, it was like, and I'm like, I was telling myself a story about, and it's, it's neither here nor there. It's not even like life shattering or altering. It was just one of those things that it was like, I had this story in my head about how this person was reacting to something. And when I had the conversation, it was like, no, 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 no that wasn't even consideration what the story was. And I'm just like, and then, so it's like, then why did I wait so long to have the conversation? Right? Like, let's just have the conversation so that I don't tell a story and make up a version in my head. Right. Right. But when we get stuck with those, right, they call them cognitive distortions. And I'll, um, 
on Instagram, I'll put up some, you know, a, a list of kind of some of the really cognitive, common That's cognitive. Two creeps counseling on Instagram. Let's two creeps counseling, right? Um, because we do that, and the problem is when when they're just rolling around in there, we have no choice but to believe them because they seem so true. But when we're processing them with someone else who can go, actually, I kind of see it this way which I think is a really important characteristic in friends. And that's what I love about both of you guys is that if I spout off some baloney out of my mouth, both of you will go, "Mm, is it true? Is that really the way it is? I think it's more this. And And sometimes that's really annoying to have those people in your life. Let me just put that out there. I love you both. But sometimes I'm like, can you just like pretend the story that I want to tell myself is true? I was going to say, I think that's an important thing as a friend, like being a friend, your friends and what you want in friends that are your friends is that if you have someone that is in the midst of catastrophizing something, if you have a friend that tends to go along with you with that, that is not the friend you want to call, right? For that but they might be Amen. the best friend to party with, but they might not be the best friend to be helping you in that situation. That if you have a friend that can call you out on it and say, well, hold your role. What's well, like, what are you, what, what's really happening? Do you really know that he's going to die or what do you yeah. really know? Right. And then that you do that for your friends when your friends are having right. a panic. Doesn't mean you, you definitely like acknowledge their anxiety and, 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 and love them through it. Right. But you also help them go, well, wait a minute. Did the doctor say there's a 95% chance he's going to die? Well, no. Right. Okay. Well, you know, what do you really know? What what facts do we really know right now before we start going down that? Yeah, you want friends that are not echo chambers. And I think mm. um, we get taught that we're supposed to be echo chambers sometimes, that yeah. that's what being a good friend means, is that I support you. Um, and it's really not. The, the best friends that I have are actually the ones that will challenge my thinking. Amen. Yep. <laughs> Amen. 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 What I love about you guys. (laughs) But it's difficult. And I get it that sometimes the first thing we want when we're feeling down is empathy. We want someone to say, wow, I see how you're feeling. I hear what you're saying. Not to agree with you. Right. right? And I think that's the difference. Like, that's the decided difference. It's like, I can say, I hear that you're having these feelings. I understand that you're having these feelings. Now let's take a look at like, why you're having these feelings and if maybe we can reframe it in another way. Right. And it, and right. the feelings aren't necessarily bad. Like it's not bad right. to have the feelings. That's something that I'm learning right now in my journey is it's yep. like, I used to just, you know, do this with the feeling, yep. like, let me just shove it down and put some food on top of it. Right. And now it's like, I have to actually feel those feelings probably for the first time in my entire life, which yeah, I'm coming to realize kind of sucks. <laughs> Yeah, you have to tough. sit in feeling some just having to sit in feeling sometimes and it's not all bad I'm not sitting here and be like oh life is horrible I'm saying like having to sit in feelings and not cope with them in an unhealthy way is something I've never as a food addict I've never experienced yeah. before because I always had food to turn to and I don't have food to turn to anymore so therefore now I have to figure out how to just feel the feelings and that's you know it's it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm just saying it's yep. like revolutionary in my life. Like I feel like I've turned a corner. If any of these, there's a scene in Star Trek where Data gets his emotion chip. Oh yes, <laughs> I love how we're going to totally nerd out right now. Go for it, Bobby. Let's hear yeah. it. Yeah, he's unemotive because he's an android. He's a robot, right? So he doesn't have emotions. He's super intelligent, no emotions, right. and he gets the emotion chip. And he's sitting in the bar with Guinan, and she hands him a drink and says, "Try this," you know. And he drinks it, and he's like that's just, 
disgusting. And she's like, okay. And he's like, give me another, you know, like he just <laughs> feel like he hasn't felt disgusted. Right. Right. I was just going to say, like, when you're not numbing yourself out with food or drugs or whatever else is your addiction, right, you also feel the joy more, right? And you want joy more. Yes, and you, yeah. you you truly get to feel all the feelings. Um, you know, some people have trouble connecting with their joy. I know that's been a problem for me. Like, I've been a flat, flat emotions because I would stuff it all down. But since because I you can't, you can't selectively numb. When yeah, we numb, we numb everything. I also didn't feel the really joyful feelings and yeah. I definitely life is more vivid without addiction in both directions. Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. joy is better turned up for sure. But pain is real too. And and then, yeah, then you've got to find another place for that. Yeah. Yeah. But the beauty is just like you've gotten skills on board to be able to manage the food and not numb out with food. You can get skills on board to manage the emotions. Yeah. Right. So it's not about, numbing the emotions. It's learning how to ride the waves, right? I, I always use that analogy in counseling of that the waves are going to come. I have so many people go, oh my gosh, you know, but there's another shoe that's going to fall. And I'm like, and guess what? There's more than two shoes. <laughs> right? Lots of shoes, just going to be shoes, shoes, shoes. So learning how to manage those because they're going to come, we have to realistically accept that they're going to come in life but that none of us get taught how to manage them, right? We get taught, you know, don't cry, don't cry, don't be angry, don't do this as, as kids, right? A lot of us were raised that way, you know, be, be yeah, quiet, be, don't, you know. Boys don't cry. Women right. are told suffer in silence, be quiet. Right, right. Don't complain. Right, right. Yeah. And none of us get taught hey, here's how you can self-soothe, you know, emotionally. Here's how you can soothe yourself emotionally. Here are some skills on board, right? Which is why so many people are getting into um, therapy and meditation and, you know, all kinds of different forms of, of self-care. But I think, Megan, you know, you were saying that willingness to sit and allow yourself to feel your feelings, right? To move through them, not shoving them down, right? Oh, yeah. Not intellectualizing, not always distracting, but being willing to take some time and sit with them, process them with the healthy people in your life or with a therapist, and then find tools to provide when you need it, distraction, right? And that's the behavioral piece of what, you know, when I need to quiet my feelings and maybe give myself a little break, a little distraction, what do I have in my repertoire? to be able to, to then help myself pull out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I can't remember if, if uh, Susan talked about it or if it was one of the other books I've read about trauma, but talking about the wave, you know, that the yeah. wave, of, the wave of grief or the wave of sadness um, or the wave of a negative emotion, it's a wave. So it can crash yeah. over you and it's going to dissipate. It's like, it's right. not going to yeah. stay. The that's, fear of that's definitely in bright light eating. I, I, I remember reading that. So yeah, I think that's definitely wave. bright light eating of the wave just holds you back from moving past it because yes. you know what? it's going to wash over you and you're going to be wet, but then you're going to dry off and then you're going to move on. But trying to hold the wave yeah. back all the time takes a lot of energy and it doesn't fix anything. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I, I was just going to say, and also like, you know, feeling the feeling, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like you're going to feel the feeling, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to be able to move through it. And I think yeah. that's, the, I think, I think, Robin, you have something to say. Please say it. I know. It's I have brilliant. so many people that will sit in session 
and hold back the emotions and say, I'm afraid that if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. And I have heard that so many times. And the thing that I want everyone to hear is, you know, I've, I've actually never had a client that couldn't stop crying, right? That we actually do move through those feelings, but that fear of allowing it to come up is overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Reach out and get help. There is help. Yep. Help. Can't get it from friends or your support group. Get it from a professional because we all need it. We yeah. all need the. Yep. Yep. And I would, I would definitely, um, one of the other episodes that we were going to talk about eventually is, you know, how to find a therapist and how to pick a therapist. So we'll, we'll kind of touch on that in another episode, because that's really important because they're not all created equal. It's kind of like dating. You gotta, you gotta find one that you click with. Yep. Anything, anything else? No. No. Okay. Well, that is our episode on cognitive behavioral therapy, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, if you have any comments or thoughts or episode ideas, please send them to on the Brightline on the Brightline podcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on any of our socials. Thanks so much. You guys have a beautiful day.